welcome to the voice of the child. As the family courts turned to technology to provide remote hearings during lockdown, uncomfortable questions about the right to a fair trial are beginning to emerge as parents describe chaos and rule-breaking within these virtual courts. I'm speaking today to Moksha, a mother who's experienced several remote hearings during lockdown, and Anne Neal, who assists Moksha as her Mackenzie friend, and is the spokesperson for Legal Action for Women, an organisation which supports mothers inside the family courts. We'll be discussing their experience of remote hearings, the latest report by the Nuffield Foundation on these hearings, and Legal Action for Women's recommendations, which they submitted to the consultation. Welcome to the Voice of the Child, ladies. These are extraordinary times and the court closures mean that a lot of family law cases have been delayed until the lockdown ends. But your case has been heard, Moksha, and you had Anne representing you as your Mackenzie friend. What type of family court hearing did you experience remotely? Um, I had an ear and a court hearing in the family court in Manchester um, before a district judge and... Uh, Miss Anil was my Mackenzie friend, and this was done remotely during this quarantine. This was a contact, a post-adoption contacts application under Section 51A. Um, this wasn't a priority hearing, um, and also this wasn't uh, under the guidelines of the Family Court 2020. This wasn't a priority hearing, but it was considered as a priority hearing by the judge, even when. I requested for it to be adjourned. And how did you find out that your hearing was going to be held remotely? Via an email from the court. Did you have any choice as to what kind of remote hearing you were going to get? Yes, I did. The judge gave us different um, different choices. One of them was Skype business. So Skype business is different from a personal Skype account. My Mackenzie friend did not have a Skype business account. These Skype business accounts are created by large institutions like universities and hospitals and courts and big schools and stuff like that. So I thought that was a bit very inconsiderate because I thought the even though there were remote hearings, they would be inclusive of everyone and understand people's circumstances. Luckily for me, I had Skype business because I'm a university student. But if I wasn't at university, I wouldn't have Skype business. And that was the only option the court allowed. The other option was BT conferencing. BT conferencing, this is done over the phone. English is not my first language or mother tongue. So when people speak over the phone for quite some time, their accents change due to what they're talking about or if it's languages or if it's law, their accents change, which makes it difficult for someone who was who has learned this language as a second language. I think the courts do not understand that part of interpreting or understanding a language includes lip reading when someone speaks. So you have to face someone directly so you can lip read and also understand with the body language. I think the courts don't understand that people who are just learning these languages process a lot in their heads to understand the concepts. And was no one actually uh, around to offer you perhaps an alternative which would allow you video calling so that you could actually see the parties to the hearing? 
there wasn't because I couldn't have any emotional support. I wasn't in the same room with my Mackenzie friend. So an alternative of Skype wasn't really an alternative because even though I wanted, um, even, even though Skype was available, I wouldn't have any emotional support given the gravity of what is being sought by the court. So presumably you logged on to the BT conferencing call and you held the hearing as a phone call rather than a visual hearing. What did you hear, first of all, when you logged on? Well, it says um, press here and press there, press ash to join the conferencing call. And then uh, you speak your name and then different uh, participants uh, speak their names. And then the last person who comes over the phone is the judge uh, who kind of pre-warns, you know, to record the phone call or to make any unauthorised recordings of the same. How did your Mackenzie friend, Anne, assist you during the hearing? Uh, well, because Anne is a Mackenzie friend, she doesn't have the right to audience, as lawyers call it. So she wasn't allowed to speak. So we kept fiddling around with the phone. At the same time, I'm listening to the phone. And at the same time, Anne wants to give me some sort of clarification on the side. So I have to keep multitasking, listening to what the court is saying, and at the same time checking my emails or WhatsApp of what what Anne might be thinking or her clarifications. So the court didn't actually grant Anne uh, a right of audience to speak, which she's actually allowed to ask for. She did, she did request for the same, and I did request on behalf of Anne, but the judge refused, which I find to be still very inconsiderate and unfair in such circumstances, which were very extreme and very unusual because it's not day to day that, you know, in this country we have quarantines. It wasn't that we were just being unthoughtful, but we thought the court will understand that given the unexceptional circumstances, the right of audience would have been granted to her. Did the judge give a reason for refusing that right of audience? No, she did not. She she wanted us to go through the same bureaucratic process as if the the hearing was on a face-to-face basis. But there wasn't any time to fill in the forms to apply for right of audience or to make a standard application. We thought the judge would uh, would accept and grant that um, oral application, given the unusual circumstances of the lockdown, but she did not. During this hearing, you were on a telephone call, so you would not have been able to see any of the parties. How did that process make you feel? Well, you start thinking different things, whether... Uh, the other parties um, could have had a phone call before even you joined onto this conference to um, to the judge. Because at one point we waited for over 20 plus minutes, me and Anne, before we were joined back onto the conference call. And these other parties were already joined onto the same conference. And it made, it, it made me think whether there wasn't any sort of prejudice in the process. So what was your overall impression of the remote hearing? 
I found them very difficult, um, especially the one in the high court where the judge it was very different um, different from the usual what I what I know. He's called his lordship, and I'm used to his honor. I don't know that I don't understand the titles of who is who. Everything is new to me. So, and the accents also are different. I found it a bit difficult. They shouldn't be even considered, and I hope they don't go ahead, especially for litigants in person and mothers who are going through what I'm going through. So it was the first time in the High Court for you? It is. Sorry, Moksha, I was just asking that whether it was the first time in the High Court for you, obviously during the remote hearing, and whether you think that it would be appropriate for people to have remote hearings for the first time in specific courts without the necessary support? I think it's very inconsiderate and inhuman of the state to put people under pressure, undesired you know, pressure on parents or anyone during a lockdown because there is no need of any hastiness. So I didn't, under, I didn't really understand the logic of, of remote hearings up to now, and I hope they don't continue. Thank you, Moksha. I'm going to move across to Anne now, who is your Mackenzie friend. Anne, hi. Legal Action for Women submitted some evidence to the Nuffield Family Justice Observatory, and they've just published a report on remote hearings. It was part of their rapid review, and you have some really big concerns about that. But, but before we talk about the report itself, let's just go back to the hearing in which you assisted Moksha as her Mackenzie friend. Um, what did you make of the experience overall? Okay, just to clarify, there were two hearings in the family court and one hearing in the high court. Um, so there were three altogether, and they were all on the phone. Um, I, I think it, it was a very, I mean, as Moksha said, it's a very difficult process. And we particularly objected to the fact that there was no urgency in, um, especially in the first two cases, they could easily have been adjourned without any implication for anybody, really. Um, and yet the judge refused. And I, I think it's a very, it's it just, it, especially for litigants in person, but not only, it you're at a complete disadvantage. It's a very unfair process and shouldn't be allowed, really, except in very exceptional circumstances, which neither of these hearings were. And it's very frustrating to, you know, normally if you're sitting in court, I would be able to talk to Moksha. Um, I mean, I might have been allowed to speak for her, but even in court, when you're, if you're not allowed to speak, you're sitting next to the person, you can chat, she can ask questions, I can give, make some suggestions. But trying to do that, as she said, while you're trying to WhatsApp or email, while you're listening to what's being said and think about, you know, it's very difficult. So it means that you're, you really are at a huge disadvantage if you're a litigant in person. And if you've got a lawyer, you're also... Um, the lawyer could be saying stuff that you, you don't necessarily agree with, for example, and, and you would really be at a disadvantage again then in trying to communicate with your lawyer. because And we do know that lawyers don't always say exactly what mums in particular want them to say, And you, but you've got no comeback. And when we did ask the judge, I did say to the judge I wanted to speak to Moksha, and she um, interpreted that. She, she just... Uh, made a lunch break, um, which wasn't the point. I wanted to, to speak 
to her to so we could she could intervene in where the where we the hearing had reached so um it's it's very very unsatisfactory and very unfair it's a very unfair process those kinds of experiences raise all sorts of concerns about the right to a fair trial and what we Absolutely. may see and what we may see moving forward and i know that you're particularly concerned by the um the Nuffield Family Justice Observatory's recent report on remote hearings, which is obviously a significant topic at the moment, which people are talking about. What, what concerned you about that report? Okay, my main concern is that overwhelmingly the respondent, the responses they got were from professionals. They only got 3% of responses from parents and 6% of responses from organisations, I, I guess, like ours. Um, and the, the bias towards the professionals is absolutely clear in the fact that they say, well, uh, we got some negatives and some positives um, in terms of their responses. But that's, you know, the lawyers, for example, you know, many of them might think, yeah, well, it's good. We can get things, get through things more quickly. We don't have to go waiting around in court. But what is not clear at all in the Nuffield is the voice of the mothers, beginning with the mothers and the families and the parents who face losing children, you know, over the phone. I mean, you know, imagine a mum. there's a mum of four um, who's being told over the phone that all four children are going to be taken away, put into foster care. And especially at this time, that means that she wouldn't get to see them again for ages because of COVID. And new- newborn babies, you know, they were talking on the radio this morning, um, about newborn babies being taken at birth by remote hearings. I mean, it's just totally outrageous. And the fact, you know, that decisions are being made, they're not, these are not sort of bureaucratic or technical decisions. These are decisions which will affect that child's whole life and, and the mother's and the family's whole lives. And that is not reflected in the Nuffield report, which is a big, big um, drawback. I mean, it really, you know, the, the, as I say, it really is biased towards the professional point of view. And I have to say that some of the more critical voices were judges themselves who were saying um, that they were having to make judgments which they didn't think they should have been making in those circumstances. And the president of the family court has just intervened recently in two cases and overturned the judgment um, because he said it was completely inappropriate for the for that taking a child from a grandmother, for example, with 24 hours notice was completely unfair and unreasonable. There are some really unsettling comments inside the report. And as you say, they come primarily from judges. I'm just going to read a couple out because they are really significant in terms of what we're talking about. So the first one says, I heard an interim care order remotely from home by telephone. The matter was originally listed for a one-hour remote hearing. At the hearing, the local authorities sought to separate a newborn baby who was three days old at the time of the hearing. The mother and father hadn't received the papers. The father was only made a party to the proceedings at the hearing. The local authority, and to a lesser extent the Guardian, were trying to persuade me to deal with the case and grant the orders sought at the one-hour hearing. They hadn't even complied with their obligations of pursuing all placement options. That's the first comment. Yes, absolutely. 
The second one, and the final one that I'll read out, says, and it's, it's much shorter, to have a two-day-old baby removed in such circumstances did not feel morally or ethically right. For a hearing which will effectively change the course of a mother and baby's lives to be condensed into a phone call does not seem right in a modern society. Again, that's another judge raising really serious concerns here about the right to a fair trial. Do you think we're likely to see some lawsuits stemming from these cases during lockdown? Well, uh, very likely. But one of the things I was just discussing with my colleague is that getting appeals, getting permission to appeal or getting appeals heard in the family court is already extremely difficult because you can only appeal if the judge has made an error of law. And um, the, the bar is very high for people making appeals. So that's a major obstacle as it is. And then if you're faced with... Um, so. If they apply that same bar to remote hearings, we're very worried that, that those appeals may not get heard. Obviously, the fact that um, if, if a hearing was heard remotely and um, ex you know the, the bias against the mother or the prejudice against the mother was clear, then hopefully there will be proceedings being able to be brought. But that doesn't address the basic injustice of the situation to begin with. And don't forget, it's got to go together with the um, guidelines that the government has introduced during COVID-19, which means that the requirements to be a foster carer have been relaxed. The requirements to be for, for adopters have been relaxed. Social workers aren't making home visits. You know, there's a whole set of checks that are not happening in relation to foster care and in relation to adoption. So you've got the prospect of babies being taken at birth and then put into foster care where there's a shortage of foster carers to begin with or where um, foster carers haven't been properly vetted. You know, it's a, it's a really nightmarish situation and it really should be, you know, Nuffield had an opportunity to really speak out against it and they didn't. They, they listened far too heavily to the voices of the professionals and did not make it their business to get the voices of mothers and families, you know, at the fore. And, and that's what the Family Courts is all about. It's about the experiences of, of families and what happens to, to children's lives. The other thing that's concerning is that despite some regulations being relaxed and causing these really quite important issues to, to come to the surface, we already have certain guidelines, as you say, within the court process where some hearings are already flagged up as being priority. But we see in the report that's been produced, and we also can see from the, the experiences that you've had as a McKenzie friend, that even with guidance, some of these regulations are being flouted. There is no uniform process happening within these courts. Now, other than assisting Moksha, I'm aware that you've assisted or you've heard from several other women who've gone through the court system. What kind of breaches are they reporting to you? Okay, well, there was a mother who uh, wasn't allowed to be on the hearing at all. Um, so that's obviously the idea that you could have a hearing about children without the mother being allowed on is completely unacceptable. Um, she, was, she had been a victim of... Uh, domestic violence. In fact, all the women that we'd helped had been victims of domestic violence, and that, you know, the the um, that additional vulnerability was not taken into account. Another mum has been extremely worried by being told that there'll be a remote hearing as part of her 
fact-finding hearing in relation to domestic violence. It seems that that's probably been adjourned, but the worry that the prospect of it, um, you know, that, that's caused her a lot of worry and distress. There's another um, mother who, who was again told, in fact, two mums who were told that they wouldn't be allowed on the hearing in one case because the, the mum was told by her lawyer, I think, that they didn't think she would be able to sit quietly. And I did notice that in the report, two of the accounts had, one, one account had a mother was sobbing and the legal advisor had to tell her to put herself, pull herself together, which is outrageous. And the other described a hearing where the mother was screaming throughout. Well, you know, unsurprisingly, if you're, you're completely on your own and these are your children that you are fighting for, you know, to a disembodied voice on the phone who was saying completely, you know, telling lies about you, for example. Um, and then another case, a mum had a case listed at the Central Family Court and wasn't even, got no information about it. So I actually went down there because she didn't want to miss if there was a hearing. And there were loads of people down there who were nearly all litigants in person, like her, who'd been told nothing about their hearing and they were just sent away. Subsequently, she's been told she's been given a date for a hearing. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a mixture of brutality, chaos, <laughs> incompetence, and we're in the middle of a, of a pandemic where people are, are very isolated and cut off from each other and cut off from support. In terms of support, the Nuffield report makes a series of recommendations, one of which is that litigants in person should get legal aid. What do you think of that recommendation? Well, actually, that was one of our proposals. Um, so ab absolutely. I mean, that would help. Slight. I mean, our, our basic bottom line is that cases should only be heard if, they, if they're genuine emergencies, that any case where there's a mum who suffered domestic violence should not go ahead, that um, any case... No case should go ahead without the mother or primary carer being present. No case should go ahead if there are children in the house who might overhear the hearing. Um, no self-litigation cases should, should be heard, except, and, and we did propose that legal aid should be available. Um, no cases where the mother uh, doesn't have English as a, for, you know, where English is her second language, or if she has a disability, for example, um, should go ahead and um, also cases where there's very large bundles because, you know, professionals are used to having a very large bundle electronically which they can read through, flip through. But a, a mother, you know, n none of us can ha have that expertise that you're on the phone listening or you're on Zoom listening to what's being said and you're trying to go through a bundle which may have hundreds of pages. So, you know... We we we're, we are really concerned about what's happening and um, so th these remote hearings are really, really unjust and unfair and they, they must stop. Do you think that's across the board or do you feel that there are exceptions where remote hearings might be acceptable? Well, I think if a mum, for example, wants a remote hearing because perhaps, for example, she's being denied contact with her child, then yes, absolutely, they should go ahead. But I think it should really be driven by, you know, what's in the best interest of the child and, and the mother in that situation. So, yes, there may be cases where um, it, where a mum is being denied contact or a mum is trying to get her children back or cases where um, 
the, the proposal is to move towards reunification of the family, in which case, yes, it, it's better if they're reunified sooner rather than later. But cases where children are in foster care or children are being taken away, absolutely shouldn't. How, how can you have a, have a hearing that takes a, a, a newborn baby? It's horrific. Cause, and we know that there are there is already an issue in the family courts of, of babies being taken at birth. And, you know, they say in here that there's a, there's a shortage of mother and baby foster placements, there's a shortage of foster carers, and it just seems like, oh, well, just quickly, let's get rid of them. And it's really unacceptable. Mm-hmm.